just want to give you just a little bit about who I am because I think it's kind of important for, for me filling up here is I've actually preached up here many times, many, many times. Uh, your church, actually, when my church was starting out about four or five years ago, or probably around four years ago, uh, we didn't have a place to stay. It was during the pandemic. No schools were open. We were a new church and you guys hosted us in the evenings and you, you, you know, it was kind of on a handshake sort of, Hey, pay what you can pay. Uh, but you're allowed to use the building. And so, uh, that, yep, that was back, back when Terry was here. And, uh, so I, I got the pleasure of kind of knowing him and you, you know, if it wasn't for your church, our church probably wouldn't be here. We probably wouldn't have had a place to meet. And so, uh, you know, again, this is a little bit like home, even though you don't know me, even though I'm kind of a stranger in your house, uh, I've, I've been in this house many times. And so thanks for having me. Glad to preach. Um, there are really two types of people in this world. Those who procrastinate, raise your hand if you're a procrastinator. We got any procrastinators in here? Um, and those who have anxiety because someone they love procrastinates. And so there are those who procrastinate and those who have great anxiety because someone they love procrastinates. Procrastination reflects the human bias towards the present or the desire to gratify immediate needs and only worry about the future when it arrives. And so if you went to school when you were younger, you know what it's like to procrastinate. I'd rather hang out with my friends. I'd rather go to the game than do the paper that's due on Monday. I'll push, I'll wait till Sunday night at 10.30 p.m. to start that paper. How many of us have been there? And I'm going to stay up as long as it takes and I'm going to do the paper and I'm going to turn it in and hope everything goes Okay, for some of us, like myself, that causes a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiety to be with people like that. Here's the deal with procrastination. It's not always harmful. When you got clothes to fold and you'd rather take a nap or rest, you know, you do that every once in a while. That's, that's not a big deal. But procrastination becomes dangerous when it becomes a habit. When it becomes a habit, it becomes harmful when it becomes a pattern in our lives. I've heard it said procrastination is like a credit card. It's very fun to spend. It's very fun to use until what? Until the bill comes up next month. It's easy to spend money right now in December. You got Good Friday, you got Cyber Monday, uh, you know, all the deals that are happening right now. but, But at some point, the bill is going to come up. Now over at our church at Central, which is up at Southridge Elementary. We're, we're not that far. We're, we're neighbor churches. We're neighbor churches reaching the same area, helping each other out. Uh, at our church, we've been talking in, in Matthew uh, 24 and 25. We've been looking at the Olivet Discourse the past probably six weeks. And it's really all about the return of Jesus. And over and over and over again, we're being warned against spiritual procrastination. We've been warned against spiritual procrastination. We've been encouraged week after week to get ready in light of the imminent return of Jesus, to to stay awake, to steward our our God-given responsibilities, to use our God-given talents and treasures. And the whole message has been, don't wait till it's too late to do these things. Because whether it be at, at our death, or at the return of Jesus, both, both dates, we have no idea of, of, of when they'll come. We're going to stand face to face with the judge of the universe. 
and account for how we spent our time as we waited for him to come back. Today's passage is about that day when the bill comes up. The king is coming. You guys are celebrating Advent. I see. I don't know if you guys look at the different candles of hope and peace and all the different candles, but Advent in Latin literally means coming, arrival. It's a translation of, of the Greek parousia, which it's used to talk about the initial coming of Jesus. He comes in humility. But Jesus is going to come again in power. And, and Advent is meant to turn our hearts to that. We wait in expectation. We wait with anticipation for our king to come back. But we must realize when he does, he's going to come to judge. And all of us are going to account for, for how we spend this life and what we did today in light of that return. So turn to Matthew 25. I always encourage, my church is called, it's not God's church, but the church I pastor at is called Central Bible Church. And we always say, man, you get your Bible out. If not, you're going to be a little lost. It's good to have God's word in front of you. When you hear God's word being preached, we pray before every sermon, uh, God, let it not be me who's speaking, but your word being spoken through me. So let's do that actually right now. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for the chance to get to be here. I pray that really I do. I, I get out of the way and, and your spirit is coming, has come and, and speaks through me. I do not want to speak anything that is apart from biblical truth, from, from your revelation, from what you have given us. And, and today is a really uh, celebratory passage, but also a very hard and difficult passage. And so we pray that you are honored and glorified through what happens today. We pray that you soften our hearts and move us to live in light of, of your coming return. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So go to chapter 25 in Matthew, verse 31. This is the very end of the Olivet Discourse. This is the very end of Jesus has five sermons in Matthew. This is the very end of his fifth sermon, his fifth major sermon in Matthew. And so this is what he says. Look at verse 31. Look at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate People, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Jesus, his return, is going to be unmissable. We, we, we talked about that uh, where we're at, that it's, it's going to be unmistakable when Jesus comes back. It's going to be a glorious, loud trumpets, angels, Jesus riding on the clouds as he comes. It's going to be unmissable. And when he arrives, he's going to set himself up on a throne. And this is a throne of, of judgment. And the entire world will be brought before him. All the nations, every individual from every nation. And he's going to separate sheep from from goats and the sheep are going to be on his right which is a place of honor and, and the goats are going to be on his left which is a place of dishonor and, and i believe on that day many are going to be frustrated and confused i think there's going to be many jesus tells us there's going to be many on that day who cried lord lord but are actually on his on his left hand I think there's going to be many goats who say, well, I'm a sheep. I got to talk to a manager. 
I'm, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the wrong line here. I'm a, I'm a, I, I talk like a sheep. I, I, I smell like a sheep. I, I look like a sheep. Uh, you know, I, I go to church occasionally. Uh, I, I try to be a good person. I've not murdered anybody. I've not stolen anything lately. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I, wh- wh- why am I in the goat pile? Why am I here? Which brings up the question, what, what sort of criteria does God use to separate the sheep from the goats? What sort of criteria? Well, in middle school, playing sports, how, how many of you guys play, played sports growing up? Basketball, soccer, anything? Uh, you know, in middle school, when I was in middle school, you had an A team and a B team. Do you know what separated the A team from the B team? Talent. Talent. I was a B team superstar and I knew it. I, I you know, I had a decent right-handed layup. That's about it. My, my dribbling was uh, abysmal. Uh, I had no range, couldn't shoot, but I was big and could throw my body around. Great for B team. And there were a lot of kids on the B team who thought they should have been on. I'm an A team player. I'm an A team player, but do you know what doesn't lie? Talent. A team players could do right-handed layups. They, they, they could dribble with their head up. You know, in, in middle school, talent in sports is what separates the A team from the B team. So so what separates the sheep from the goats? Is it talent? Is it good looks? Is it uh, good behavior and works? What sort of, what separates the sheep from the goats? Let's, let's read on because I think this passage tells us. Look at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Man, what a, what a what a passage for, for those on his right, his sheep, his children. A glorious inheritance awaits them. That is the kingdom of God awaits those who are God's, his children, his sheep. Guys, it's a place where there'll be uh, satisfaction, delight, limitless joy, peace. is going to be what, what God has planned for us since the beginning of time. He has prepared that place for us. And that is what awaits those who are, who are God's, who, who are his sheep. Now, it's crazy to think about, but in no short time, we are going to be in the kingdom of heaven forever together. Isn't that, isn't that crazy to think about? And in no short time, we're going to be celebrating in heaven. No pain. No suffering, no sickness, new glorified body. I can't wait till that day. We're, over at Central, we're, we're going to have a reunion. We're going to throw a party. Guess what, Castle Rock Baptist? You're invited. We're going to have a big party. We're going to celebrate in heaven. Well, what's, what's the cover charge? How do people get in? How do the sheep get in? Look at 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or or naked and, and clothe you? And when did we see you in sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it, to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. The sheep cared for 
Jesus when he was in need. And, and the recipients of this message are like, well, when did that happen? You know, I, I, I Steve, I clothed Steve. Stu, I gave Stu food. I gave him something to drink. Annetta, I visited Annetta in prison. Have you been to prison before? Annetta? Okay, anyways. <laughs> Just out of the three, you seemed like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, but I didn't, I didn't see you, Jesus. And, and what does Jesus say? Again, look at verse 40 again. He says, and the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you, you did to me. So the question is, is who are the least of these? Who are the least? Jesus calls them what? Brothers and sisters. So while other scripture, I do believe other scripture calls us to care for all of humanity, anybody in need. I believe here he's referring to his disciples, believers, and, and Christians everywhere. Jesus is coming back. And, and how we treat the least of these while we wait for him, while we wait for that second advent, is the criteria God uses to differentiate sheep from goats on that day of judgment. And here, here's the big idea. If you want to write down anything, if you're a point person, uh, it's, it's how we love the least of these today will determine our eternal tomorrow when the bill comes up. The world, the nations, those apart from Christ are going to be judged on the basis of how it treats the little ones, these little people whom God is sending to it. All Christians are called to what in Matthew 28? We're all called. Every single one of us in this room is called to make disciples of all nations, to go out, to teach everything Jesus has, has taught us to do, to baptize. To, to disciple make. And believers are we're, we're so one with Christ that people's mercy towards Christ's disciples, it personifies the way they respond to Christ himself. People who claim Jesus as Lord, those of us who hold a Bible in our hand, who, who claim Christianity, we're going to be judged on how we show mercy to those who in need, especially those within our faith communities. And what, what are the typical needs in a, in a church like this? What are the typical needs of, of believers? We do a lot of work at the school, and there are a lot of people who just need food, shelter, clothing. Those are, those are basic needs, but then beyond that, you need friendship, encouragement, some, somebody to, to listen, somebody to know that, that they care for you. And, and, and I'll tell you this as a pastor, and, and, and I'm sure Brian would say something very similar. I love more than anything when I see a church meet its needs within itself. I, I love as a pastor more than anything when I see you meet one another's needs because it's evidence to, to whom you belong to and who you'll be with forever and eternity. Now, I want to make something very clear as I move on. On the surface, this, this does sound like works righteousness. I need to love people. I need to do this. That is, that is not what I believe Jesus is saying here. And if we look at all of Scripture, I think it, 
we, we have to reconcile it with, with, other past, with other passages. Good deeds, and, and I want you to hear me very clearly as I say this, good deeds are not the works by which one enters the kingdom. They are the evidence that kingdom life has been produced through the transformation of the heart through regeneration. We become God's children through repentance and faith and the work of Jesus Christ. But from a human perspective, the veracity, the integrity, the truthfulness of that faith is proven when? When we demonstrate love for God's people. We can't say, I love Jesus, but I don't love his children. We can't say, I love Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the people that Jesus resides in. Because we're so one with Christ. And so we do, we love them. We receive them and serve them. Not to earn any sort of salvation or to earn kingdom life, but to display a love for Christ who is in them. We, we got to make that distinction very clear as we move forward. Now we get the first 41. Now we get to the flip side. This is where it, it isn't as much fun. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, and to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus addresses the goats in a similar manner, except now everything's in the negative. Instead of come to me, you who are blessed, it's now what? Depart from me, you who are cursed, which is the ultimate judgment, is to be away from God, to not see his face, to not know his, his presence. He says, depart from me, you who are cursed, because you rejected God's people, his emissaries, which is a rejection of God himself. The sheep will live happily ever after. The goats will, the goats ever after will be one of eternal fire, eternal punishment. Merry Christmas, right? I mean, this is what, what a great, this is, this is sad. Jesus is coming back. And when the bill comes up, a lack of mercy for the least of these today will have an irreversible, never-ending, devastating ramification for eternity. And we refer to that as, as hell. This is, you know, I had this plan before I was coming to preach here. So uh, this was not like, hey, let's talk about hell when I come visit a church, guys. I, I, it's not something I, it's not, what'd you say? Uh, before yeah, yeah, before Christmas. Well, I mean, it's Advent. And, and for us, Advent is glorious and it's beautiful. But for those who do not know Jesus, it, it will not be so. It will not be so. And so... I, I'll be honest, I, I, don't, I don't love talking about this. I, I, the first time 
I remember really hearing about hell. I was, I was a freshman, I think, in high school. And I went to a revival. And there was a hellfire and brimstone Baptist preacher there. And he scared me half to death. And, and I wanted nothing to do with God from that point on. And, and so I know it's, it's hard to talk about, but, but we have to talk about it. Because guess what? Scripture talks about it. And guess what? It's part of his return. It's, it's part of his, his coming. Now, I think it's, we, we struggle to talk about it because we tend to uh, undervalue certain things or, or de-emphasize certain things that make it even harder to talk about. Number one, we tend to underestimate the depth of our sin and the offensiveness of our sin. We tend to say we're really not that bad uh, and, and, you know, I'm mostly good. And, and that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says we've, we've all fallen short, that no one is good, no one is righteous, that sin permeates every, everything we do. Who we are, what we say, how we act, our motives. It, it goes deep. So, so we underestimate the depth and offensiveness of our sin. We also underestimate the, 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 the richness of God's holiness. We, we all want a just judge. Like if, if, if you got T-boned in your car and you go to court and, and that driver was inebriated, you'd want justice to be done, right? There, there, there needs to be a punishment for the crime. Well, well, God is unfathomably just. And our sin is more offensive than I think we realize sometimes. You know, John Piper said, uh, he has a good quote uh, here in, in talking about that. He said, where God is small and man is big, hell is abhorrent and indeed absurd. And the cross will be foolishness. Hell's also confusing because of things like Dante's Inferno. That's a book that was famous. And, or far, how, how many of you read Far Side comics growing up? Uh, there, there's a picture of hell. And when we think of hell, we think of, you know, a subterranean area of suffering. And we think of, you know, Satan is kind of the CEO. He's in charge down there. And I think of like people in chains and, and demons kind of prodding them with their pitchforks. And, and that sort of thing, that's kind of the image that those sort of things have portrayed to us. So we've kind of accepted it. That's what hell's going to be like. And, and I don't think scripture has really informed our view of what it is. Number one, Satan is not going to rule in hell. What does this passage tell you? He's going to be thrown into the eternal fire prepared for him. He's not going to be a manager. God's not like, hey, Satan, I know you opposed me, but I'm going to give you your own little place to rule and take out your frustrations on people. He's not going to be standing over anybody. If anybody's suffering, he's going to be standing shoulder to shoulder with them suffering too. Number two, the imagery of hell is, is hard to, to reconcile. We, we have pictures of what? Of of eternal punishment, eternal suffering. In other passages, we see, we, see, we see fire, we see darkness, we see gnashing of teeth. How literal we take that, I, I don't know. How do you have fire and darkness in the same place? It may be. That may be exactly what it is. I, I, I think part of it is just beyond our comprehension. Here, here's what one, one pastor said. The purpose of this imagery is to point beyond what literal language can't convey. If a literal burning by fire is bad, the reality of hell's suffering must be immeasurably and inexpressibly worse. So whatever physical suffering there is, I think we're going to anguish spiritually more because the love, the blessing, 
and the all-satisfying beauty of God for which our hearts were made for will not be experienced. The sheep will go to heaven and the goats will go to a place where they will not experience those things from God, where his face will be turned. Jesus is, is coming back. And a great separation will commence. There are two types of people. Those who will experience a glorious reward in heaven and, or those with, with hell as their eternal destination. I grew up, and it's going to date me, I was born in 81. So uh, for some of you guys that may be old, for some of you young, I don't know. It depends on who, which kind of church I'm at. Uh, but I, was, uh, I, I watched Disney movies growing up on VHS all the time. My, my young daughter, I have an 11-year-old, she pulled out a VHS tape the other day, and she goes, what is this, Dad? It's like she didn't know what it was, and I had to explain to her it was a VHS tape. And so I used to watch Disney movies growing up the, the entire time. And, and, and if you watch Disney movies growing up, they kind of all had the same ending. It didn't matter if it was Snow White and the Prince or Cinderella and the Prince, Belle and the Beast, Ariel and Eric, Aladdin and Jasmine, Rapunzel and Flynn. They kiss, the, the music soars, and then what does it say on the screen? They lived happily ever after. For those of us in Christ who trust him, who put our faith in him in such a way that that, that faith is alive and moving and, and active and loving our brothers and sisters and meeting the needs of those in our communities. And for those of us in Christ, we, 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 we get to live happily ever after. That's true. But for those who reject Christ, for those who reject the messengers, he, he sends to them. And all who belong to him, their ever after will not be sweet. And so in light of the coming imminent return of Jesus that we await for, if you're apart from Christ, don't wait. Don't wait. Don't procrastinate in your response to him. Martin Luther, the reformer said, God has promised forgiveness to your repentance, but he has not promised tomorrow to your procrastination. If you read the Olivet Discourse, there's going to be a time where it's too late to respond. Don't wait to receive this, this ambassador's message. But there's grace and and life available for you today. And for you to take hold of it, it begins by placing your faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's by, by throwing yourselves upon the mercies of God, confessing your sin and saying, I need you to save me. And trusting in that. And when we do that, we receive eternal life. And he comes and he changes us. And, and then we can pray, and in light of your return, in light of your return, help me to, to lovingly obey you. Help me to, to see the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ, not only in my community, but, but around the world. And God, God, use me. Use me to feed them. Use me to clothe them, to shelter them, to care for them, to love them. Because I see you in them. And when I love them, I love you. Now, for those of us 
who claim the banner of, of Christianity, I think this passage, there, there, there's a, a tension here. It, it could possibly scare us into hollow obedience. Now, hollow obedience, we'll read a passage like this and they'll say, okay, God is coming back. We're anticipating for that, but my life's not right. And so step one, what I need to do is I just need to grip my hands. I just need to try harder. I just need to be kind to people. I just need to start. I I need to, hey, that's a good step, but that's step like three or four. I think you need to come back. And and I think this passage can act like a mirror that you look in and and you ask yourselves just just a, a few questions. Is the love of Jesus evident in my life today? Or am I prone to spiritual procrastination? You know, am I waiting for tomorrow? To take the things of God seriously. To take his commands seriously. And as I I wait for the return of Jesus, am I currently loving well my brothers and sisters in Christ, especially those who are in great need? Or do I put it off for tomorrow? And if you can't answer yes to that, which guys, there are days where, where where I fall into selfishness and laziness. Where I'd rather sit around and watch TV and scroll on my phone, then do anything of substance and value. I'll wait for tomorrow. And so I need to, as a pastor, regularly repent and regularly admit to God that, yes, yes, I, I do that. And so if that's you, again, admit that to God, ask Him for help, and then, and then pray, God, produce in me a heart of loving obedience. And in light of your imminent return, help me to stay prepared, to stay awake, to steward my God-given responsibilities, to use my God-given gifts, and to most importantly, to love the least of these while we wait for your glorious return. Amen? Let's pray. Father, uh, very wonderful passage. And a promise for those who, who love Jesus. That, that this life isn't it. Even though this life can be good and, and full of blessing, there's also a lot of suffering, a lot of pain that we endure. Losing people we love, sickness, just a struggle with the flesh, shame. God, we look forward to that, to that day when when you're going to come and and set everything right, make everything new. Help us to live in light of that day, that that at any moment that that return is is imminent. So so help us to invest in today and and to out of a new and changed heart that was, was born out of faith and trust in the gospel, out of that new heart, God, you work in us to produce love. Help us to love those who need it. Father, this passage is also very somber and it's, it's a reality check. You're, you're coming back. We, we, we do await your second advent. But for, for many, that it's going to be a day of devastation. God, I pray that the people we love that are, that are in that line, that are on the left right now, the people we love and we care for, God, I, I pray that through us, through, through other means, God, they, they see the truth and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
God, I want people I love. I want people I work with. I want, I want people I know to, to, to love and know you so they can enjoy you, not just now, but forever. And Father, help us to be intentional in our time today to, to bring that love of Jesus to them. God, we thank you. We thank you that you're just. We're, we're in all of it. We respect that aspect of your nature. We revere you for that. Yet we're also very thankful that you are merciful, gracious, and that you have you've provided time, ample time for every individual to respond to you in faith. And we're thankful that you did that for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.